my brother went to the cops and the cops came to our restaurant that my dad had bought and in front of all of us said, we don't know what was allowed in Illinois, but here, if you beat your kids, you're going to jail. Where are the answers I see? Where are the hopes I need? Answer this for me. Help me to believe. Hello, dragons. It's so good to have you with us today. Time is the most precious resource any of us have in this life, and the fact that you have chosen to spend some of yours with us is humbling, and we love you for it. So thank you. I'm super excited to share part of an interview with an amazing person that I've had the pleasure to get to know over the years. Today, we're joined by Barbara Schulte. Now, if that last name sounds familiar, it should. We had her husband on the show a while back, and I hope to have them both on together at some point in the future. But today, we're talking with Barbara. She has been through so very much over the years and still finds a way to persevere and and even laugh at some of the challenges through which she has struggled. When the idea for this podcast came to me, it was a little different than what I had heard many podcasters doing at that point. It seemed to me that the Tim Ferrisses and Joe Rogans and Rich Rolls of the world were interviewing the rich, famous, and successful, which is an amazing thing to do, and I have personally benefited so much from them over the years. But as I looked around me and the world that I know and the world that I see, I realized there are amazing people everywhere with something to give to this world, even if it wasn't the three fastest ways to become a Silicon Valley startup or how to dominate your entrepreneurial need. You see, I learn from and am amazed by how people persist through the toughest personal challenges, whether it be social or financial or philosophical or otherwise. I wanted to highlight the stories of those people that I've met or known along my journey who are what we consider average folks, you know, like you and me. But upon deeper inspection and discovery, we find they are amazing creatures who accomplish seemingly impossible feats in their lives, many times just to survive. And Barb's story is one of those. She's the very definition of a plain, ordinary dragon. Now, a quick word of warning. In this episode, we discuss some very adult topics with some depictions of some very tough situations from her life. It is not for the faint of heart, but I promise you it is well worth the journey. Let's go ahead and join the conversation. Well, welcome to the podcast, Barb. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for inviting me. This is cool. It's most welcome. I'm, I'm so happy. I'm, I'm really excited for this conversation. I was talking to my wife just a few minutes ago, and she's like, hey, are you nervous about this? And I was like, no, I'm not nervous, but I am excited because I get to talk to Barb. I you know, Barb and I don't get to talk as, as often as I'd like to. For me, this is kind of exciting because I get to talk to you about your history and your journey and our history together and, and all those kinds of things. So for me, it's uh, a lot of fun to, you know, be here with you today. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. And Eric was telling me that, that you have some notion that, 
I didn't like you back in the day. And I was like, oh, good. Okay, well, we got we to gotta cover that. That's a good place to start. So, uh, you know, you and I, uh, for the for the audience, uh, we met in college, really. You were, if I remember correctly, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, you were the piano player for the first play I was in at uh, North Arkansas Community College, which is, I think, now North Arkansas College. Right, because we were doing uh, Girl Crazy, I think it was. And, yeah. and, and you were the piano player. And that was, I think, how we how we met. Isn't that right? I think so. Or, or uh, yeah, or before that, because um, I was friends with Ben. And mm. then, yeah, I don't remember how that all came to be, but but I was friends with Ben initially, and that's that's how I don't. I'm trying to think, that's probably how I got into the play. I was in speech class with Ari e. Davis, but I don't remember how that went down. Tell you the truth, uh, my memory is just god awful on all accounts so i'm gonna warn you now i've i don't know if i talked to my doctor today i'm like is it early onset dementia or something uh, so basically i'm a goldfish who wakes up every day and it's a new world and well that that can be so, nice yeah. i would think yeah it, it it has its good points i suppose but it also i work with millennials and you know my supervisor's like 30 years old and he'll say i need you to do these three things and so i start writing them down and by the time i've written down the first one i don't remember <laughs> what the other two were it's getting bad it's getting bad elliot i feel you we're all getting a little bit uh, a little bit older but you know and and for the audience to say, you know, you're you're one of my, uh, you know, I, I hate, I, I don't know how to say this. I've been thinking about this all day, and I and I can't phrase it correctly. You're you're one of my oldest friends, but not because you're old. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we met in college, and I I was uh, I was in acting class, and I think that's kind of how how we got together. I think it's kind of a funny friendship in, in some respects because, uh, you know, you met me at a time in my life when I was really young. Uh -huh. I was, I went to college when I was 17. So I, I really, you know, I hadn't, I hadn't really grown up yet. You know, you, the brain doesn't really stop developing until 25, 26 years old. And so I still had another decade almost of, of, <laughs> of growing up. Yeah, you were uh, very you know, and, precocious. <laughs> Well, that's a nice that's a nice way of saying how arrogant I was oh, that's for sure no you just you just were very uh you're very wickedly smart oh thank you yes still are you know the thing is is that I really life hadn't beaten me down enough to really understand a number of things like empathy I had compassion for a long time but I I, I didn't really have empathy and, and there's there's a difference yeah. and I believed I lived a charmed life I, I believe I still do but not in the same way and it was kind of funny because it, I, I used this point to illustrate I'm sure that you you weren't uh, I'm sure I, my attitude turned a lot of people off let me put it that way I was very confident in some cases yeah. very overconfident uh, I, I was a, a bit arrogant and a little ego driven and I believed things or I said I let me put it this way I put the the, the persona out that I believed I was all that. When on the inside, it, it, it really looking back now, I see it was more of a shield. Oh. Uh, it was more of a, a protection mechanism uh, than anything else uh, was to get people to focus on the persona instead of the incredibly scared, sensitive person on the inside. Oh. And so uh, it, it was it was it was different. But I used this particular uh, illustration with El Eric um, when we were when we were talking was that uh, there was a party. I was uh, was dating a girl at the time, and I think it was either Ben or Mike Yarbrough, I can't remember which one of them, told me about the party that you were having. 
And I didn't know anything about it. And the funny thing was, is that I didn't find out till later that uh, I think Ben or somebody told me that, that you had said, hey, don't invite him. Uh, you know, <laughs> he, he, he's not really, you know, this group. But then somebody let it slip and I wasn't doing anything. I was like, yeah, I'm always down for a party. And then I just showed up. <laughs> uh, and I kind of remember the look on your face like, uh, uh, but you were incredibly nice to me, of course. And. And I think that was kind of one of the places where our friendships really actually started because then you and I started talking about meatloaf oh, and how much yeah. we enjoyed meatloaf. And, and then I think at that point, that was just the seed of, uh, of, of everything uh, going on. So uh, I don't know that funny. I ever thought that you didn't like me. I just, uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, you didn't always want, uh, you know, an overconfident, arrogant 17 uh, year old who thought he knew everything or per, you know, <laughs> pretended like he did, uh, you know, around, uh, because they can be irritating. And I'm sure I was. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I, I really appreciated your, your sense of humor and how quick witted you were, but I did not appreciate it when the witted, wittiness was turned on me sometimes. <laughs> and I'm a sensitive person who gets her feelings hurt easily. And <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's an interesting piece to, to, to talk about in, in regards to, you know, a sensitive, sensitive people. I try to be really open and vulnerable in this podcast with, with the audience, uh, you know, all 10 people who listen or whatever, but I, I try to do that because when I was younger recently in the, in the last, I don't know, decade or so, gaslighting has really come into yeah. its own as being something that is looked down upon and bad and, and can cause real damage in people's lives. And I've talked about this with some of my other friends before, uh, but gaslighting was a technique that some people would say uh, I invented uh, what? because I, yeah, yeah, I was really good at it, making people think that they're crazy for saying something that I knew to be true. Uh, but I use it as a defense mechanism. See, uh, I would tell someone something in secret or in, you know, in confidence. And then this has happened to me more than one time where I end up in a social situation and somebody I told something to in confidence uh, would bring that up. And the thing that I would end up doing is trying to guard against uh, this, you know, sensitive person inside that was really scared and didn't know how to deal with what was happening to them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I would just act like they were absolutely crazy. And more often than not, I won those battles. Like people, you know, they were like, well, I don't know what you're talking about. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, but he seems to not know, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, the, the funny thing is, is that when you're sensitive, uh, it, it's very hard to deal with some of those, those things. And so I can totally see how that wouldn't be fun to have turned on you. Um, it wasn't fun to have turned on me. Uh, but you know, when you're, when you're young and trying to figure things out, uh, you don't always have the tools you need to deal with things the way you need to deal with them. You know, I didn't realize So you were 17 at NAC. Mm -hmm. Wow. I, I don't think I realized that. And then Ben was, Ben was like, <laughs> what, 19? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You were a yeah, wee he was baby. Older, he was older. Yeah, we were we were all pretty young. Oh, so. Yeah, and I was kind of old. I was a, a, what do they call it, an unconventional student or something? I didn't start. Non-traditional non non student. Non-traditional, yeah. yes. Yeah, because I was, what, 25, I think? Something like that, yeah. yeah. Well, how did you get there? Well, let's start at the beginning. Where were you born originally? I was born in Illinois, northern Illinois, and I grew up in a small town called Galena that's a tourist trap for uh, Chicagoans. 
mainly, but it was also where Field of Dreams was filmed right in that area. And Kevin Cosner bought a house there as well. But oh. yeah, we owned one of the, at the time, three motels. In, in Interesting. Yeah, it's, a, it's a President Grant's unofficial hometown. The town built a home for him there after the Civil War. And so you can go visit that. It's all from the 1800s. There are so many buildings still standing from the 1800s. It's in the Guinness World Book of Records for several things. It's, it's uh, like glaciers went around Galena. And so the glaciers are what makes Iowa and, and Nebraska flat. And uh, it skipped over Galena. And so it's very, very hilly. That's interesting. Yeah. Did you did you spend all, I mean, did you, you grew up there? Uh, I mean, yeah. Or did you guys from seven until seventeen? I was I grew up in Galena, and uh, we owned that motel. We were basically slave labor. The four kids. I started working in the motel at age seven. Age seven, I was answering the phone in my most adult professional voice, and people would ask for my husband. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Talk about doing a good job. Uh, it's, <laughs> nobody knew. I think, I think that background for, for the person I am today, that I can pretty much to talk, talk to anybody, even though I'm very much a strong introvert, I can talk to anybody. I can find something that we relate on and build rapport with just about anybody. So and that's, that's thanks to that experience. Well, you are a good conversationalist. There is no doubt. It's always fun talking to Aww, you. Well, what was it like? What, what was the family dynamic like? Oh, it was screwed up. This is a family show, right? So I'll use the word screwed up. Highly uh, you dysfunctional. Are, this, this show, uh, uh, you have the ability to be yourself in, in whatever form or, or fashion you like. Uh, we we mark all the shows explicit uh, for that oh, reason. Good. So oh, that's right. You are... You are welcome to use whatever language you like, um, okay. and whatever you feel like. Uh, the in in regards to the the listeners, uh, some of them won't listen when they're when there's explicit stuff, and some of them will. So it's just up to you. But um, but I've made the we made the decision early on that we wanted people to be real with us, no matter what that meant, whether it meant that they were going to tell us their religion, their conspiracy theories, uh, <laughs> or 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 they had foul mouths. Okay. So, yeah, I recall Eric swearing now. So okay, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I bleeped it out in the trailer. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> if anybody has mouth. <laughs> but yeah, it was a, it was very messed up. My dad was, he's probably a narcissist. I, he hasn't been diagnosed as such, but, but I've read enough on it and had enough experience with other narcissists that I recognize the signs. He had no empathy. Um, I was fortunate in that I was the firstborn, but I was a girl, so I wasn't as big of a threat as my brother who came a year and six days later. Uh, my dad had major issues with my brother. One of my earliest memories is of him beating my brother with a tree branch and the blood running down his legs. And he was probably about four or five maybe oh man and uh and so yeah my brother got the worst of it but i got quite a bit of it as well and he he wasn't just a uh a person that was physically abusive he was mentally abusive he would hide behind the door as i was coming in from school and then beat the crap out of me because my room was messy i got beaten up so many times for having a messy room that you would think i'd be the neatest cleanest person on the face of the earth but nope <laughs> 
did not phase me in that way. Uh, but yeah, he would lock us out of the house, dump water on us from the second floor, spy on us to the point of binoculars, literally. Uh, we, we were responsible for the laundry in the motel. And if we didn't get the laundry done by bedtime, which was seven o'clock, I was in eighth grade and still going to bed at seven o'clock. And if we didn't get the laundry done, we were either taking turns getting up at the wee hours of the morning to fold it quietly, or if we didn't get it all done, then we'd have to walk to school in the morning, which for my sisters meant a walk across basically two football fields. And my brother and I had to walk two miles. And he would sometimes follow us to make sure that we didn't go into any little shops on the way or anything like that. He was very much a control freak. One time he uh, he left the house to do something in the motel and he I, he was just acting weird. And I told my brother, I said, I think he's put a uh, recording device, tape recorder somewhere. And so we started looking for it. We couldn't find it. And so then we were really stupid and we went into the refrigerator, which we weren't allowed to do and pretended to eat the chocolate covered cherries that were in there. And we were making a big deal about how good they were and playing it up and all this kind of stuff. And <laughs> it was silly. And then came the moment my brother stepped on a pin that went through his foot and he let out this blood curdling scream and then you hear me, well, I can say you hear me because it turns out my father was taping us and uh, used this tape for various escapades of his own later. But yeah, I, you heard my brother scream and then I, I pulled the needle out and that made him scream even louder. And now I'm crying on the, on the tape. And he didn't actually present me with the evidence until I was probably in my mid twenties. He sent me the tape and that was really, yeah. Yeah. He, uh, at one point he, he played the tape as my mom was coming home with groceries. He was down in the basement and he set the tape recorder on the stairs and played the sound of my brother screaming to get my mom to drop the groceries and freak out. I don't remember. Did he find that? Did he find that funny? Oh yeah. Yeah. He was, he was malicious. He was evil. Still is, I think, but I haven't spoken to him. He disowned me probably over 10 years ago. So yeah. What, why would he, well, <laughs> why would he do such a thing? Well, he, uh, he, for being the evil sort of person he is, he got a little softer in his old age and he would send out these heart touching pieces that he had found online and he'd email them out to everybody, you know, about a child buying shoes for the mom who's dying kind of thing. And I don't, I, I don't think I mentioned that my mom died when I was 12. But anyway, um, so he would send those things out. And I just, I kind of got sick of it because it was it was like, oh, here's this sad tale about this imaginary child that went through this trauma. And I was like, oh, I got a story for you, dad. <laughs> and I, so I sent this this story written in the format of these pap pieces that he would send us. Um, and it had to do with a little girl who was four years old and in a 
in a strange place. She was in Ireland, actually, and she was in a home that had no electricity. And they had put her in a sleeping bag, and she had never been in a sleeping bag before. And she woke up in the middle of the night and had to go to the bathroom and felt like trapped in this sleeping bag. And it was dark, and she didn't know where she was, and she didn't know where the bathroom was or anything. And she started crying. And, uh, and then the door opens and there was a flashlight and and i said i forget how i worded it uh it was her father and then he beat the shit out of her the end <laughs> and it was true it, that that all happened to me and i thought you know this is what you did to me quit sending me these pieces about these poor children when you did that stuff to me he came up and he beat the shit out of me. And honestly, I lived the majority of my life not realizing this. Uh, I remember the last thing I remember was the flashlight coming into the room. And then my memory goes blank. Well, we went to Ireland in 1998 and uh, stayed with my auntie Leash. And she's the one that said, she gave me the remainder of the story. She said, your uncle Billy had to pull your father off of you. He was beating you so badly. We'd never seen anything like it. And she said, and that's when we knew he was a bad man. And I was like, oh my God, I'd always had this blank feeling that, that something had happened, but I didn't know what. And, and she filled in the blanks for me. And from then on, I was just like, holy shit, who knows what else he did that I don't remember, that I just blanked out. So that was a very uh, traumatic thing. But so I sent that, that little story to him <laughs> and it did not go over well. Yeah, narcissists don't like being confronted about the stuff that they do. Yeah, yeah, no, they, they, don't, they don't like it at all. You know, narcissism is an emerging field these days, uh, as I understand it. And, you know, we really don't know as much about narcissism uh, as we do other disorders. My wife's actually been doing a lot of research in regards to this uh, based on her past history. Uh, we've been having a lot of conversations about narcissism, narcissistic tendencies, uh, and the difference between having the tendencies and embracing the tendencies and being a narcissist mm. lately. So. Yeah, she's reached out to me. I, I hooked her up with a, a guy online that really helped me work through a bunch of things and learn a, a lot about narcissism. Uh, I've actually, I've used it at my knowledge and my past experience to kind of help others. So I post things on Facebook fairly regularly having to do with narcissism. And then I just about always have somebody reach out to me. Some of my former students will reach out to me and say, I think my dad's a narcissist. And then I will talk them through it and tell them how to go no contact, how to go gray rock, you know, how, what hoovering is, what love bombing is, what gaslighting is and all that. So now, your dad pro isn't the only narcissist you've encountered. Oh, yeah, no. Nope. I, it, once you, certain personalities are prey to narcissists, and I'm one of those personalities. Uh, what, what, what kind of, how, how would you define a personality that is, that falls prey to a narcissist? Like, what, what are some of the attributes, or is there a way to define it? They are people pleasers that were probably raised in an abusive home, and are willing to put up with a lot of shit because they they don't know any better. They don't, I don't know, they're just people pleasers and they are submissive and um, kind of voiceless, uh, just, just willing to put up with it. 
and they push your boundaries and find out just where how far they can go and with people that have been raised in an abusive home there's you can go pretty far and then I married a man that was very similar to my father and was probably he's probably also an undiagnosed narcissist and you know that's what do you, you do think yeah do, do you think that you're drawn to that personality because uh because that was what you knew as a father figure early on i think i was initially i think you know they say you marry your your parent to try and resolve issues that you had with that parent uh, and it rarely works, I think. But yeah, so my ex-husband was very similar to my father. He was cold, uh, emotionally unavailable, had very little empathy. Yeah, he was just not a not a good guy. And so I fell into that not realizing. Um, when I was like probably 27 or so, I started to come into a more a sense of self, I guess, and a little bit more self-esteem. And I was like, why am I putting up with this? <laughs> and so I decided to change and get out of it. And so I did. And then, it, you know, I, you know, about the girl that we took in that was also, she was a covert narcissist. And in terms of a covert narcissist, they are so good at masking it, you're not going to know for four to six months when the facade starts to fall. And had I had any inkling, I would never have taken her into our home. But that's, you don't know. They play the victim so well and you want to help them and... Ugh. Sure. Well, for, for the audience's sake, we should probably uh, clarify, Eric and Barb have taken in many strays, uh, <laughs> a animals, people. Uh, I lived with you guys for several Who months. Hasn't? Uh, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, Hotel uh, you got, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you guys have always been uh, very open and, and sharing and loving towards all sorts of people. Um, I, you know, I've watched it over the years. One of the, the nice things about having a few years on me now is that I get to not only see my own journey, but watch other people's journeys and be happy for them along the way. You know, I, I remember when you were married to your first husband there. Um, and I, and I remember the stress, you know, I wasn't intimately involved obviously, but you know, from an outside looking in, it was easy to tell there was was there were challenges mm -hmm. and then of course as I got to know you later we got I got to know a little bit more about it um, and then yeah when you brought a narcissist in basically into your home uh, and you know she just wreaked havoc on you and guys. she wasn't I the first so one bad. the the first narcissist we brought into our home was an 18 year old boy that he had uh, basically grandiose narcissism he had outlandish stories that I had no reason not to believe, you know, about kicking some guy's ass with his, he's a, he's a fifth degree black belt. He's considered a, a lethal weapon in the state of Missouri and, and all these things. And he got into this fight and was in, put in the ambulance with one of the guys that he had kicked his ass so badly. And it, he just had these just outlandish stories that we just believed. And then came the day that he pinned me down on the ground and was tickling me because I, we had gotten into not a little bit of an argument, basically. And yeah, he pinned me down and tickled me. And Eric had to come over and get him off of me. And he knew, that boy knew that I hated being tickled. I, I would rather be slapped, punched. But anyway, Eric pulled him off of me. And he said, um, he said, while you're gone, I, my anger might escalate and I might burn down your house. 
because we had to take our children down to Arkansas and deliver them to their father. And he knew that, and he was going to be left in the home alone, and he threatened to burn down our house. And that's when we purchased our first gun. We didn't purchase it. Somebody gave it to us. <laughs> wow. But yeah, we were terrified then. And we went and talked to his parents, and we told his parents all these stories about how, well, you know, his grandfather's Chinese and taught him karate. And they're like, no, his, his grandfather is Chinese, but he moved to, back to China when this boy was three years old. He's never even met him. And then we found all these lies that he told. And it was just like, oh, my God, what have we done? That was very, yeah, very frightening time. And we had to handle him with kid gloves to let him think it was his idea to leave our home. Which way to go. Yeah, that's pretty challenging to get to get done. (laughs) Well, let's let's circle back around uh, to to childhood there just for for a couple minutes here. So I assume uh, you and your brothers and sisters uh, got out of the house as soon as you possibly could. We did. What happened was we moved to Arizona when I was 17 and my brother was 16. In Arizona, my dad treated us the same way he had been treating us. And my brother did the same thing he had been doing in Illinois, which was going to the police, going to the teachers. My brother would tell anybody that my dad was beating us. And, but my dad was such a fine upstanding citizen in Galena, I guess nobody believed or uh, it was a different time and people were like minding their own business. I don't know what, but very little came of it in Illinois, but we moved out to Arizona and my dad pulled some shit and my brother went to the cops and the cops came to our restaurant that my dad had bought and in front of all of us said, we don't know what was allowed in Illinois, but here, if you beat your kids, you're going to jail. They took my brother and put him in foster care and they determined that I was 17 and that I would probably be leaving the home fairly soon. And so they didn't do that with me, although Oh, I really wanted to go into foster care. I wanted, I was so jealous of my brother, but I didn't get to go into foster care, but they did put me into counseling and, and that kind of thing. Did the counseling help? Uh, no, because you know how, when you're 17, you're kind of (laughs) stupid. Yeah. Yeah. I was stupid. I, I didn't really see a point to it. And I, I don't know. I didn't know what they were trying to get at really. I didn't. I didn't know how to talk about it. I, it was just a really weird time. Sure. How would you know how to talk about it? Here on the podcast, uh, we had his name. I call him Bumping Gums, but uh, his name's Gabriel Akins, and uh, he's he's a very self-aware individual. I love I love speaking with him, and he had a troubling childhood as well. And I remember him saying something to the effect of, "I didn't have the tools I needed. I didn't have the communication pieces needed to tell people." what I needed to thrive. Yeah. That's very true for kids. Uh, You know, and I was talking with one of my friends the other day who's going through a divorce. He's, he's got children and we were talking and he said, you know, it's, it's not fair that I made this mistake and now my kids are going to be paying the price uh, in this, in this process. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and I told him, I said, the best thing you can do is try to give them the tools that they need to be able to thrive as best they can. And uh, with what's getting ready to happen and what they're going to be going through, because that's not that's not something that that kids are really afforded. I didn't have the tools necessary. I wish I did, because things would have been very different, I think, for me as well as for other people. So, yeah, we have just scratched the surface of Barb's journey. 
But how amazing is it what she has come through, all the things, man. And we're just getting started. Please join us next week for part two. But until then, please remember, you might be plain and you might be ordinary, but you're a dragon, an amazing, a powerful creature beyond our comprehension. And we can't wait to hear your voice in this world. Well,